the podcast of Unity Fort Worth. In it, you'll hear this week's message and meditation. If you'd like to hear and see the complete service, you can always find it at unityfortworth.org or on the Unity Fort Worth Facebook page. Unity Fort Worth focuses on positive and practical Christianity with a willingness to explore the entire world of religion and spiritual thought. Unity Fort Worth streams live every Sunday at 11 a.m. Thanks for listening to the Unity Fort Worth podcast. All right, beauty in this world. That's a perfect topic, isn't it? And we shall talk about this at some other time because today... We're going to finishing off the idea that we're asking the question, what happens after he is risen? What are we supposed to do? Right? So we established last week uh, the idea of linearity versus circularity. And those are two really big words, meaning just one is we think in terms of beginning and end, which is linear thinking. And then the other one is kind of like more of a circular, where it's just repetitive. It just never ends, right? So we look at how we in the Western world often see things. We start a college degree, and eventually we finish it, and then we get a certificate, and we hang the certificate on the wall. We're all happy about it, and no one can get that certificate and take it away from us, right? It's kind of like that thinking. That thinking works really well in our world, but it doesn't work well in a world that is about spiritual awakening. Because you may get a certificate at some point that you are awakened, but that can absolutely be taken away from you, not by anyone outside of you, but by yourself. And so I want to dig a little bit deeper into that today, because there's stories of recognized, enlightened leaders who have literally lost their ability again. Now, this can be scary on one hand, but also an opportunity. The opportunity is to learn to think in circular terms, an endless repetition of us to remember that we need to practice spirituality over and over again. It never stops. Chopping wood carrying water. Remember that? Before enlightenment, chopping wood, carrying water. After enlightenment, chopping wood, carrying water. So that's where we kind of left it last week. So I want to start today just by showing how many different words there are to describe the same or similar thing. We have the word enlightenment, which seems a very big word, doesn't it? Like, oh my God, enlightenment. We have the word awakening. But then there's other words like light, body, silence, peace, heaven, garden of Eden. All these terms, the kingdom of God, moksha, nirvana, all these words mean the same thing and yet they're different. All these words describe, in a great way, the same kind of state of being, a state of being that no longer suffers, a state of being that no longer judges, a state of being that is perfect 
in itself that no longer falls for the illusion, otherwise called maya, and that finds perfect union with heart and mind and the divine. All these words, in a way, describe that. But they're also different because there's not just one enlightenment or one awakening to go to. There's multiple stages to achieve. If you ever practiced with a guru or you were part of one of the more formal spiritual practices and movements, then you know that the first stage of enlightenment or awakening is only the beginning. Many actually say, it's only then when we really start living. Before that, our life is not really living, it's suffering. It's buying into the illusion that we are separate, buying into the illusion that we are not loved. But after enlightenment, that first stage, we start to understand that we are much more than that. But it doesn't stop there. Like Jack Cornfield says in his book, uh, After Ecstasy, The Laundry, he, he mentions how different traditions, different spiritual teachers, they all, once they have achieved enlightenment or awakening or are recognized as such, they're is sometimes a formal recognition, sometimes an informal recognition of that, they continue to grow. They continue to expand their awareness. Now, this can be devastating news for you if you were hoping to approach enlightenment like college, right? You get your 60 credits or 90 credits, and once you've got those credits, you are done no one asks you whether you had an A or a GPA four years after. It doesn't matter, but you get your certificate. No one can take it away. Fortunately, that doesn't work that way. The beauty about this on the other side is, thank God, it doesn't work that way. Because if we are to be reminded over and over again what it means to be present, present in the moment, what it means to acknowledge that union with God or with the Christ self, then we're truly starting to take every moment differently. Because what good is it if we have a certificate on the wall that says, congratulations, you're enlightened, but we get upset every single day about the littlest things in our lives? doesn't make any sense, right? So I wanted to share three stories today about three individuals who have reached enlightenment and how they shared their story. The first of all is probably very familiar to most of you. It's the story of the Buddha. Gautama, Siddhartha, who was a king a king's son, had a wife, had children, was basically sheltered in his palace. He had actually three of them. He would never go out until one day he was so curious that he would go outside of his palace and see the suffering that all the people were experiencing in the world, something he has never experienced. And he was so devastated about this that he left his palace 
left his riches, denounced everything, even left his wife and children, and he became first and foremost an ascetic for six years. He deprived himself from any indulgences. He was hungry. He was, str- he was struggling in many ways because he felt that that was the way to end the suffering. But it didn't work for him. Almost just the moment before he almost passed, his physical body passed, a girl gave him a bowl of milk, and he accepted it, and that's how he survived. And from that moment, he pledged that he would wander between indulgence and asceticism somewhere in between. And if you know the story of Jesus a little bit more, you know that John the Baptist was an ascetic. He was following that path that Buddha, that Siddhartha, took very early on. But Jesus kind of was also called um, a drunk and drunken sometimes. Or he, Jesus would be known as someone who actually enjoyed life. You can see between Jesus and John the Baptist the actual reflection of the journey that the Buddha took. Eventually, Buddha sat down by a body tree which is a big fig tree in India and in the Eastern world. And he said, I'm going to meditate until I reach enlightenment. I will not move from that tree. That is one story, one storyline that goes that way. And eventually he reached enlightenment through meditation, through self-absorption, and through self-study. If you know Hermann Hesse's version of Siddhartha, it goes a little bit different. Hermann Hesse writes that Siddhartha, while he was an ascetic and then he was an indulgent businessman and he got married again and he would, he would go in between and find this ferryman called Vasudeva who ended up an enlightened teacher himself and he would sit by the river until he reached enlightenment. So even with the story of Buddha, we have different versions but it's very clear that according to the story, the journey is always inward, and it's always through a meditative practice to, in order to reach that awakening process. Now, the Buddha didn't stop. Once he reached enlightenment, he would then gather people around him. He would continue to teach. He would start putting together these ideas of, Life is suffering and these ideas of birth and rebirth and the endless cycle and we need to escape that cycle and so on. And eventually we now have a movement, a religious movement, that doesn't really define any God and yet the goal is to end suffering, which they equate with awakening. The second story is a woman born in 1955, a French woman living in Paris, who by the age of 27 reached enlightenment by stepping onto a public bus. Her name is Suzanne Zegal. She was an enlightened teacher for only about 10 years. She had this moment of explosion, completely 
unexpected as she was just trying to get home from work. And she was describing this as she was stepping onto the bus. Her personality was split into an I and a self. And she started witnessing herself over the next few months, thinking that something was wrong with her, until she learned from other teachers that she has known. She's been on a spiritual path for a while. She learned from some of the teachers, the capital T teachers, the great teachers, that oh, it looks like you are experiencing enlightenment. So it was kind of accidental for her to step into it. Unfortunately, after about 10 years of being a therapist, a spiritual teacher, she started doubting herself, and she lost her ability to be in that, at that enlightened stage. A couple of years later, she also passed away from a brain tumor. And that was the story of a very short, enlightened experience. And the third story you might know, probably a little more or a little better than Zizan Zigal, is Eckhart Tolle. Ever heard of Eckhart Tolle? Okay. So Eckhart Tolle, after his 29th birthday, actually very close to the time when Suzanne Segal got her experience, he actually considered taking his life. He was in such a bad spot, and he has always been for many years, even for childhood, he always doubted himself that he was not good enough, and he was very hard on himself, but he tried everything. He moved to Spain after leaving school early. He grew up in Germany. Then he eventually moved to Canada. He tried everything he possibly could, but nothing really satisfied him. And at the point where he needed to make a decision, and he had that conscious thought, I no longer can live with myself, he immediately put himself into the enlightened state by asking the question, who am I and what is myself? I can no longer live with myself. Well, who is the I and who is the self I'm talking about? Are those the same or are they different? And in his book, The Power of Now, he goes into the more details that I'm going to be able to do today. But it's a very interesting story that he, at the very end of his willingness to live life, finally took the leap and started to understand that there is no I in the first place, that there is only one. So there's three stories about... People that have, according to scripture in one case and um, oral traditions in the case of the Buddha, plus two very well recorded incidences of enlightenment. But they're all different, aren't they? One is by having the dedication of practicing meditation every day and not give up, and meditate, and meditate, and meditate, until pop, it happens. The other one is totally accidental. No idea where it came from. And the third one is out of the darkest place and misery that one can ever 
imagined to be. So tell me what this tells you about our ability to reach enlightenment, those three stories. Let's see if you can come to the same conclusion than I did. It's possible for anyone. You know, I'm pretty sure that among the few of us who are here today and watch online, there's probably these dedicated individuals that the first thing they do when they get up and open their eyes and their mind starts going is they go into prayer and meditation and that is their life's journey, right? Everything evolves around that. And it's <clears throat> very clear that to them and their friends, they have a very dedicated path of moving toward that process of becoming who we true, true and what we truly are. But then there's other among of us who go about the day, who are actually quite innocent about the day, do not worry too much about one thing or the other, and have still the capability, just like Suzanne Segal, to step into that experience. And then there's probably a few of us who are in a rather dark place, in a place that is very difficult to come out of. All of us, regardless of our experience, have the ability to reach the point of understanding our true divinity. Eckhart Tolle, for example, specifically says this in his book. He believes that right now, this was late 90s when he wrote this, right now we all, as a human race, we have the ability to pop into awakening spontaneously here and there, regardless of what we're doing, what state we are in, how we feel about ourselves, and how we feel about each other. It's a magnificent idea. And I actually believe that pretty much every one of us who has been here, who is here, who is watching online, every one of us, everyone in this world has already had an enlightened experience and experience what it means to resurrect ourselves into a new way of being and experience what it means to be awakened to no longer hurt ourselves through suffering and so on. The question for us is, did we recognize that that was what it was? Suzanne Segal took, it took her six months to figure out that her experience was that which most people would consider an experience of enlightenment. The Buddha was a lot clearer about it. Eckhart Tolle kind of wavered at first too. So it's very possible that for all of us, we may already be in that state, but we may be in judgment of it because we lack understanding or formal teaching or in any ways an expanded awareness of what that means. So what does it all mean? And why does it matter? In unity, we believe that whatever we seek 
and desire in our lives is already within the vicinity of our environment and our abilities. Whatever we truly desire in our lives is already a reality for us just because we are capable of imagining it. And if awakening, enlightenment, or any of those words, light, body, Christ, God, oneness, anything of that resonates with you and it is within your vicinity of really understanding that we all can achieve that and especially you can be your own salvation. You can resurrect yourself after crucifying what no longer serves you. You can ascend. You can have the Holy Spirit come upon you. You can be a bodhisattva. For those of you who understand the term, you can be just like Buddha, just like Jesus Christ. You can be all that. That alone is what it takes. So ask yourself, if that is within your desire, who is to say that you have not already already experienced that? Who is to say that you already are you're not already in that state of being. How can you tell? I can tell you how I can tell. I can tell that I'm not in the awakened experience when I get upset about little things. You know, those tiny little things that don't matter. In that moment, I'm not very enlightened. (laughs) I can also tell that I'm not in the flow when I am in deep judgment of myself and I'm questioning every single thing I'm doing. And yet, those are very much part of our everyday life. And it doesn't deter us from actually living a full life from a divinity experience. It's part of it. We cannot separate ourselves. Our judgments are part of it. Our Angers are part of it. Our getting upset about the little things are part of it. But usually we put our attention so much on the little things that we forget the reality of the whole. And that is what it really is about. So he is risen. Jesus Christ is risen. As I mentioned last week, is really so much more about us than it is about that one person from 2,000 years ago. It doesn't matter, in the end, what God we believe in. It doesn't matter, in the end, what religion we follow. It doesn't matter, in the end, which path we take. As long as we take it with kindness and peace and love, that really is what matters. Now, I mentioned this book, After Ecstasy, The Laundry. I want to read a couple of things before we move into meditation, because I think Jack Cornfield really got got it. After Ecstasy, The Laundry means that we cannot all be spiritual teachers. And it also means we don't have to be all spiritual teachers. 
We can change the world by realizing who and what we truly are, by being exactly where we're at right now. We can be ministers, like in my case. We can be retirees, like in many in your case. We can be a teacher. We can be a mechanic. We can be a politician. Yes, politicians are allowed to be enlightened too, <laughs> right? Imagine for a moment that everything you do, everything who you are, whether you're a retiree, you're still in the workforce, whatever you do, you do it from an enlightened perspective. You do it from a place where you no longer suffer and no longer judge. And you allow everyone to be. Imagine a world with enlightened teachers, enlightened, enlightened politicians, enlightened gas station clerks, enlightened contractors. Imagine a world where you walk into a grocery store and you see the light of God in the people that serve you. Imagine a world where you get up in the morning and you look into your partner's eyes and all you can see is God looking back at you. That is the world that we need. And that is the world that we are inspired to grow into. Needless to say that the war in Ukraine is probably still on everyone's heart and mind. And if we truly want to change something, we should start seeing the ability of each and every one of us to change for the better right here and right now. Not taking any expensive courses, not going into a cave for six years, just right here, right now. Wouldn't that be awesome? And by changing us right here, right now, we change the world as an, in its entirety and hopefully, whether it's the war in Ukraine or any war that's happening right now or will happen in the future, will not even be as bad or come to a reality. Jack Hornfield writes about community. This is what he means about the laundry. Many spiritual teachers who have gone off for many years to study have reached a, a place of enlightenment or understanding, have decided to return to normal life, and they have struggled with that. It's hard to be like Elaine and I have in an ashram where everyone is so focused and so into it, and you're just the only thing that matters to you is to reach that highest point, and then boom, you have to go back, and all of a sudden, Sudden, you have to have an apartment, and then you have to pay your bills, and then you have to work with coworkers you don't like, and so on, right? It's hard. The laundry is hard. But it's also an opportunity. And he writes about community in this way, a subtitle called Community is Also Difficult. Community, however, important to a full human life is not easy. Living with others evokes all kinds of difficulties. When we get close enough to one another to offer love and support in an intimate way, our old family patterns, our fears, our needs, our limitations show up as well. 
They're all right there in front of our nose. We may be able to avoid conflict in our prayer and meditation, but in community, we might as well not try. Conflict will come. Remember that I mentioned before that I always chuckle when people believe that a church community should be without conflict? It's the opposite, right? Because we are here to learn something about ourselves and about the world. And when we do that and we are in community, we face each other's greatest fears. So conflict automatically arises. Conflict is not a bad thing. We just need to learn how to handle it appropriately and maturely. That's what we need to do. He also shares this story of a nun who said, in my second community, there were only a dozen nuns. I liked all but two. One was lazy and the other was self-absorbed. After my first year, I was in the kitchen complaining to a friend who said, you know, these are really not bad people. What is it that gets you? I said, one is lazy and the other one takes too much care of herself. And she replied, well, you ought to be more lazy and you ought to take better care of yourself. <laughs> we have a gift here at Unity Fort Worth, a precious gift, I think, we all still need to understand. We're gifted with a community that is willing to come and show up and be part of something special. And I know I may have scared some of you talking about all this enlightenment stuff and awakening, and it may be hard to fathom that that's even a possibility for you, but I want to encourage you to understand that there is a reality about this that we can all feel and see if we only learn to look. Very early in his chapter, he talks about what a community should be like. This is Jack Kornfield again. If a teacher and community live in open acknowledgement of human needs and emotions, they will find a certain ease in these matters. Certainly, problems will arise, but they will recognize as common problems or will be recognized as common problems something everyone must encounter sooner or later. But if the spirit of community is one of judgmentalism and fear, secrecy and hypocrisy will creep in and far more damage will occur when the facade of being above the human cracks. This is true whether the community is one in which celibacy is the rule or one in which spiritual practice occurs, occurs amid ordinary life. No one, monk or lay person, is immune to the storms emotions and relationships can bring. These storms are part of the rich field of our practice. We're here to practice. We're here to care. We cannot live in isolation alone. We can learn in isolation, but then we ought to bring our learning into this community. And we are here, all of us, to achieve that together. Individually, yes, but also together as a collective. 
And so I hope that you are a little bit inspired to ask yourself, well, he is risen now. What now? What are you going to do over the next few weeks and months in order to ask yourself, what if I could be where I truly wanted to be? So let us take that into meditation for today. So with the sound of music, we allow ourselves to turn within. We may still grapple with the idea that enlightenment is for us, and yet we allow that truth to ring and resonate. What if we can walk in the footsteps of the Buddha? What if we can learn from the teachings of Jesus Christ? Nothing is so far away from us that we cannot achieve it ourselves. God is inspired, a light within our hearts. So individually we may step into the depth of our being. We may retreat in prayer and meditation and shut the door and pray in secret. But then the gift that we are given, giving ourselves the enlightenment of our understanding, the gift of wisdom and higher ways of being, is not to be kept to ourselves. So we must open that door once again and walk through. We go out into the community, renewed and resurrected, a new way of being and living. And we share ourselves freely without any limitation.
And if conflict arises, we shall not run away. Instead, as the Buddhists so often tell us to do, lean into that, lean into what's bothering us. Lean into not what what lean into not only what's bothering us, but get to know the other. Reach out and connect and find the love that drives them. We have a chance chance to reach the highest reaches, a chance to take the big leap. A chance to break through all the ceilings that will ever present to us, and a chance to be joyful about that. So let us close this meditation by opening our hearts and minds. And respectfully find those things and people in our lives for which we are grateful. Let's smile at our neighbors. Let's extend the hug to those we have never hugged before. And in gratitude, we find the true meaning of a thank you. A thank you to the things that have come before us, the people that have taught us, the people that are surrounding us. And in that gratitude, we allow ourselves to unfold as we so desire to be. And so it is. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Unity Fort Worth podcast. You just heard this week's message and meditation. For the live streams and more information, go to unityfortworth.org.